Good morning. My name is Emily. I am one of the pastors here. And I've probably shared before in this space that one of my favorite book series is The Chronicles of Narnia. Um, C.S. Lewis, the author, was a Christian, and so it's a very pastory thing to do to start a sermon with a, with a Chronicles of Narnia story. But there is this... Um, phrase in one of the first books from this series called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's a phrase that the characters are saying to each other over and over again. And I'm wondering if there are any fans out there who might know what this phrase is and would like to shout it out. Anyone? Any Chronicles of Narnia fans? Oh my gosh, yes, that's it. Aslan is on the move. Yes, way to go, Megan. So Aslan is the name of the lion from the title of the book, and he is the good and rightful king of the land of Narnia. Unfortunately, Narnia has fallen under the dominion of the evil white queen. And one of the effects of her rule is that in Narnia, it is, as they say, always winter, but never Christmas. Not hard for us to imagine on a day like today. Everything is cold and frozen over in Narnia. But a sign of hope has broken into the winter-weary world of Narnia. The ice is beginning to thaw. And it's a signal that Aslan, the king, is on the move. This good king has come to reclaim his territory and his kingdom is beginning to break into the old. And the central question now in Narnia is what does it look like to join forces with Aslan's in-breaking kingdom to surrender to his rule and participate in the advance that's happening? Last week, we started a sermon series, Walking Through the Lord's Prayer, this prayer that Jesus teaches his followers um, whenever he is teaching them how to pray. And what we're focusing on over the next few weeks is how this prayer is like a window into the way that prayer works in our lives with God. And in particular, we're gonna be talking about how today, prayer isn't just where we are telling God about all the things that we want, but it's also about where we learn to align with what God wants and offer ourselves back to him. It's not grabbing a hold of things from God. It's about God grabbing a hold of us. Now, I think at a pretty fundamental level, this can be kind of a mental shift for some of us because a lot of us have, I think, this operating assumption that prayer is something we do to tell God about all the things that we want for our lives, where we try to get something from him. And while the Bible does teach us in so many places, including the Lord's Prayer, that we should be bold to come before the Lord with our requests, our desires, our longings, Jesus also shows us that prayer is about aligning with what God wants for us, not just what we want from him. Prayer is where we learn to surrender and participate with God's kingdom that is on the move. So go ahead, you can grab a pew Bible. We are gonna be in Matthew chapter six. I think it's on page 1380. Um, And we're gonna zero in on just a few lines from this prayer that Jesus is teaching to his disciples. So Matthew chapter six, we're gonna be just in verses nine and 10. And this is part of a larger chunk of teaching that that Jesus is sharing with his followers in the book of Matthew. And he gets to how you pray. And he says this, starting in verse nine. 
This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That last part, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is the phrase that we are going to zero and laser in on this morning. Now, I think it's easy to either hear or say these words as we often do in in worship here and kind of assume that maybe they're just like some fancy fluff, like the way a courtier would come before a king or a queen and say, your grace, your royal highness, may your kingdom be ever expanding. And then they're gonna ask for something, right? Like we're gonna butter up God before we come to him with all of our requests. Um, Kind of like when my adult brother is hungry and he looks at my mom really, really sweetly. And he's like, mom, you're so pretty. Your sandwiches taste better than anyone else's. He does it still. Um, We were just together at Christmas. Um, That's not what we are doing when we say your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray these words, we are not buttering up God to get him to do something for us. It's less like flattery, and it's more like we're making a vow. It's less like beginning a wish list for Santa, and it's more like an oath of allegiance to a new country. That's what new American citizens actually do as part of their naturalization ceremonies here. They take an oath of allegiance to the American government. We're doing something kind of similar whenever we pray to the Father of Jesus and say, your kingdom come. This idea of the kingdom, it is all over the place in Jesus' teaching. And it's in the book of Matthew almost more than anywhere else in the whole Bible. More often in Matthew, Jesus talks about it with this phrase, the kingdom of heaven. And we need to unpack that idea, the kingdom of heaven, in order to understand what Jesus is teaching us about prayer here. So when Jesus uses the phrase kingdom of heaven, he does not mean a destination for our souls when we die, like something that happens after we die. He means it as the kingdom of the God who is in heaven, which is breaking into earth through his own presence. In the Bible, heaven is God's throne room. It's the place where his rule and his reign are perfectly honored. And at the very beginning, we see that God's desire for his creation is that it would be a place where his heavenly rule and love are made known on the earth, specifically through human beings, um, the creatures that he makes to reflect his heavenly image back to his creation. And so in the beginning, it was on earth as it is in heaven. But when the first humans rejected God's rule and rebelled against him, there was a fracture between heaven and earth. And that fracture means that earth is now a place of death, of suffering, of injustice and evil. We live frozen in the clenches of a brokenness called sin that we cannot overcome on our own. But of course, God loves this earth that he made and he is not content to let that fracture 
be. And the whole story of the Bible is about how God is on the move at work to make it once again on earth as it is in heaven. Just like how in Narnia, the creatures are saying over and over, Aslan's on the move. In Matthew, we hear Jesus say, repent and believe the kingdom of heaven is near. The thaw has begun. And as the thaw begins in Jesus' own life and ministry, we see that God doesn't bring his heavenly kingdom to earth through conquering his enemies or charging in with weapons and an army and forcing everyone to bow down. Instead, God's kingdom draws near through Jesus, drawing near to those who are very far from God, those who needed their sins forgiven, those who were sick and needed healing. And ultimately he draws near through dying for his enemies on a Roman cross that becomes his throne. So if this is how God's heavenly kingdom works, then we need to keep three things in mind whenever we hear Jesus talk about it. First, the kingdom of heaven is not just a place we go in order to escape this world. Heaven is on its way here in order to heal and remake this world that God loves in the way that God desires it to be. Second, God's kingdom of heaven has a very different character than the kingdoms of the earth. It's not a kingdom that's about coercion and control where the strong rule the weak. It's a kingdom based on self-giving love, even towards enemies, towards those that really don't deserve it. God has most revealed what his kingdom is like in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And third, God's kingdom of heaven, even though it's not of this world, it is breaking into this world through Jesus and through those who follow him as their king. Um, I love how this image from the Bible project kind of captures it. I think sometimes when we think about entering the kingdom or joining the kingdom, we imagine we're kind of joining some kind of closed container or space that we can draw this little box around. But I think a better way to think about it is like we, whenever we join God's kingdom, we have joined this like um, subversive sin and death resistance movement that is working its way all throughout the earth to the ends of the earth, the Bible says, with the cross of Christ as its power source. Pockets of thawed ground are emerging through the snow. And we know it's because as we say here, the gospel is moving. And we have the hope that one day, just like the angels in Revelation proclaim, the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. That is what we are praying for. When we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As Pastor Derwin Gray says, when you pray the Lord's Prayer, you are praying to know the King, to enter and participate in the kingdom, and to be transformed into the image of the King. Prayer is so much more than getting. And so if prayer, specifically this Lord's Prayer, isn't just about getting, but it's about joining God's kingdom, then what does that look like? I think two words really encapsulate that. 
Prayer is about surrender, and prayer is about participation. Surrender and participation. I find that quite often I don't usually start out my prayers in this posture of surrender. I'm not like, oh, my great king, what is it that you would have me do today? What is your will for me? I'm, I'm open-ended here, God. Um, that's not really how it goes. I usually start with like, um, here's my list. Here's what's not going right. Here's what I'm kind of feeling stressed about. Can you please do something about it? Here's the list of things that I have going on where I'm about to like perform and I really wanna do a really good job. Would you help me be productive and successful in front of others, especially when I'm preaching God? Um, oh, and here's this thing that I've really wanted for a long time. Would you please unplug your ears and make it just happen? Like, let's identify where we've gotten off course with our quarterly goals, Lord, and I'm inviting you to problem solve with me. And let's see where we can get back on track and meet our targets. I don't think that God is mad at me when that is where I start. I don't think God is angry at us that surrender might not be our starting point in prayer. I think he's really able and even delights to meet us where we are at. But I don't think he wants us to stay there. Like a fussy toddler that is so tired that they will fight sleep in their parents' arms. I think that God is like, I can hold you here. I can hold you until your agitation finally calms down. And then maybe we can talk about what I want for you here. And in that space of uh, that space where my desires are coming into contact with what God wants for me, my, my concerns, my frustrations, even my fears, they become opportunities. Opportunities for us to say things like, Lord, what is your kingdom coming look like here? in this situation where I'd probably rather be successful than faithful? What does desiring your will mean here in this thing that I'm actually really scared of and I can't guarantee an outcome that I think I'll like? What do I need to lay down of my agenda, God, that is frankly wearing me out and holding me hostage so that I can surrender to the goodness and the rest that you want for me? Where have I been clinging to control? and comfort instead of to the cross. And it's in that posture of surrender to the kingdom that I think we begin to find the way towards participation in the kingdom. In the book of Isaiah, there's a beautiful image about what the world will be like when God's kingdom comes. And it says, in that day, they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Um, plowshares are like these things that furrow the ground so you can plant seeds. And pruning hooks help cut off dead branches from trees so that new fruit can grow. When we surrender the swords and the spears of our kingdoms and our wills, God doesn't leave us empty-handed. He transforms them into plowshares and pruning hooks. These are farming tools that break new ground for new life to grow, help trees blossom with fruit, feed people who are hungry because the winter is thawing and the ground is ready and God is on the move. When we unclench our fists and surrender, they become open to the tools that God wants to put in them, tools that can break new ground for the new life of his kingdom to grow. 
There's a a new book out right now about the story of John Newton, who was um, the author of the hymn, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound. Uh, Some of you may know his story. During the 1700s, John Newton was a British pastor. He eventually became an abolitionist, someone who worked for the end of the illegalization of slavery. Um, But he didn't start out his career in that place. He actually started out as a slave trader, uh, sailing on the ships, and he invested a lot in the slave trade. And he experienced this dramatic conversion in 1748 in the middle of a storm on a ship where he surrendered his life to Christ. But as he would later look back, it was not a complete surrender because not everything changed right away. He continued to financially benefit from the slave trade for years, and it would be nearly three decades, 30 years, before he publicly joined the abolitionist movement. Later, he published a pamphlet, uh, and he publicly apologized, confessing that he was once, in his own words, an active instrument in the business of enslavement. And he believed that his conversion to Christ had actually been incomplete until he finally joined this cause. However, as he surrendered the sword of his investment in the slave trade, it became a plowshare for the kingdom as he served the abolitionist cause with his gift for words and language, writing and testifying about his own experiences, his firsthand experience with the House of Commons in Britain. And it was this beautiful redemption. It was his own awful experience, horrific experience in the terrors of the slave trade that became the thing that he used to work for its demise. Swords into plowshares. And just months before his death, the slave trade was abolished in the British Empire. It's amazing grace that didn't just deliver him from earth to heaven, but made him a participant in Jesus' mission of bringing heaven to earth. His story is sobering and encouraging to me because it shows how surrender and participation are like two sides of the same coin. Our resistance to participate in Christ's kingdom is often a sign that there is a sword or a spear of our own kingdoms that we have not yet surrendered. And if we want to participate in Christ's kingdom work in the world, we will find ourselves more and more in need of surrendering to his kingdom in our own hearts and lives. True surrender fuels participation and participation drives us back to surrender. God is on the move, melting the winter in our world and our hearts, and he is always looking for more ground to gain in us as well as through us. And prayer is the place where he moves us again and again through surrender to participation and back again. This kingdom kind of prayer, it's not just something that Jesus teaches to us. It's something Jesus does for us. Before his death, Jesus goes to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's not a contemplative prayer at a retreat center. It's a battle scene between the King Jesus and the forces of sin and death in the world. And Matthew says that he is troubled in anguish, overcome with sorrow about what he's going to face. And Jesus in that moment cries out 
in prayer. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. A second time, he goes to prayer in the garden. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. Then again, Matthew tells us, he went and prayed for a third time, saying the same thing. Three times, Jesus surrenders his will to the Father so he can participate with his kingdom that will defeat death by going through it. Three times he surrenders to the Father in contrast to the three times that Peter, his friend and disciple, will publicly deny him. Three times he surrenders to the Father, resisting the three temptations that Satan threw his way into the wilderness, which were temptations to be the kind of king who would use his divinity as a privilege to insulate himself from suffering and sacrifice. Three times he prays, one for each of the three days that he will spend in the grave so that when he rises again, we will all be so sure that the cup of uh, judgment for our rebellion has been emptied and not even death can threaten this God's kingdom. Three times Jesus prays the prayer that he teaches so that despite our weakness of participation and our failures of surrender, we may again this day repent and believe joining our lives to a king who is worthy of our allegiance because he is not a tyrant, he is a servant. We pray for the kingdom of the one who is worthy of our surrender, who promises that when we participate with his kingdom, even though we lose our lives, we will find them. So I'm gonna give us a little bit of space in the next few moments uh, each week of this series, we are wanting to give you some space to respond in prayer, with prayer, in a manner that reflects the Lord's prayer that we are walking through. And so over the next few minutes, as the band comes up, I'm gonna walk us through two prompts for responding silently to God in prayer. First, I'm just gonna invite you to sit in a posture with your palms facing down. They can be resting on your lap, but palms facing down as a sign of surrender. You can close your eyes if you want. And I'm gonna invite you in this posture to talk with God silently about one place you can surrender to his kingdom in your life. I'll give you a few moments here. And now I'll invite you to turn your palms facing up in a sign of openness. And I'd invite you to talk with God now about what it might look like for you to participate more fully in his kingdom. And would you pray with me now the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power 
and the glory forever. Amen. Would you stand as we continue worshiping together?